culture. Hollywood for smart people. For uh, Tuesday, October 22nd, 2019, I'm Nico. I'm your host. Talking movies, television, music, and so much more in a way that smart people can enjoy them. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Um, It's my podcast. Take off your shoes. Kick your feet up. Stay a while. Why don't you? Yeah, Mikasa Sukasa. Can I get you anything? Cup of coffee, some tea, shot of heroin, <laughs> whatever you fancy. Welcome. Hey, we're talking Hollywood today. Um, I'll I'll admit, folks, um, this is going to be sort of a laid back edition of the program, <laughs> keeping it casual. I mean, amongst friends, we always keep it casual. Uh, but today, like, I, I'm not really coming in throwing. 99 miles an hour, you know, like I, my fastball is not exactly there. Similar to Araldis Chapman in the ninth inning of game six of the ALCS this week. No, it's not about that. I'm not bitter. Not at all. I'm totally okay with the fact that our MVP caliber player hit one of the clutchest two run home runs you'll ever see in your life at the top of the ninth inning in Houston, Texas. Only for our overrated closer to blow it at the bottom of the inning. No, why would you say such a thing? Not one ounce of bitterness in my bones. Man, this took a turn. Uh, Look, y'all, there's just not a ton to talk about in the world of pop culture this week. I wish I had more material. I just don't. I'm not coming in with the hottest of takes. It's going to be a bunch of hanging sliders. Thrown in the direction of Jose Altuve on today's show. Sorry, but we're going to have fun nonetheless. I have an interesting docket. We'll we'll hit some things. We'll have some fun talks. Okay? Because when you and I are together, anything's possible. Uh, I watched this uh, Watchmen show last night on the home box office network. Watchmen. Yeah, this was a big thing because Succession just concluded on HBO Last weekend, Succession, for my money, is the best show on television. Could be the best show of the decade um, when all is said and done. If you look at, I guess, 2010 to 2019, nothing moved me in the way that season one and season two of Succession did. And the finale lived up to that reputation. Succession was just incredible this season. And if you're not watching that show, uh, what's wrong with you? Why are you listening to this show? right now like why are you not heeding my advice because that's all i've been telling you for three months watch succession if there's one thing you can take my advice on i'm not like doling out diet tips i'm not doling out my workout regimen i'm not referring you to any right-wing youtubers you know (laughs) i've only given you one piece of advice and that's to watch succession you will thank me later um anyway So, Succession just wrapped up their second season, which means now it's time for HBO to roll out their new prestige Sunday night drama, and that's exactly what they did this past Sunday with the premiere of Watchmen. Now, Watchmen is based on an acclaimed graphic novel, one that I have not read, but one that I understand is popular in many circles. People love the Watchmen, especially if they love the comic books. I am, however, familiar with the film adaptation of the graphic novel directed by Zack Snyder, starring Jackie Earl Haley, Patrick Wilson, Billy Crudup. You know the movie. That movie was released 10 years ago, as a matter of fact. 2009. A decade ago is when that movie came out. And I got to be honest with you. um, I am no Zack Snyder apologist. And I would never be caught in public defending the man. (laughs) Do not label me with that distinction, Internet. Uh, But I got to be honest with you. I don't hate that movie. I don't hate it. It works for me. I know some fans of the comic don't like it. Um, Actually, most fans of the comic think it lacks the nuance that the source material did and it misunderstands some of the character beats. And I'm sure all of that is true. But as someone that did not grow up reading comic books, like... This thing's a ton of fun. I just, I I dig the visual style. I think the material is oddly suited 
to Snyder's strengths. Um, I like the blue man. I like the sex scene set to Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. It's just fun. It's different. It's fun. It's been a while since I've seen the movie, granted, and I can't tell you a single thing about it, which is why the premiere last night was so confusing to me. Um, But whatever. I, I don't mind the movie. I think it's, at this point, a little underrated. Anyway, now it's a TV show, and it's on HBO, and that means it looks really nice, costs a lot of money, and has some names attached. One of those names, the one that I want to focus on for today's podcast, is Damon Lindelof, the creator of the show Watchmen. Now, Damon Lindelof is an interesting figure that you may be familiar with if you spend some time on the internet and you travel in certain social media circles, because he's kind of a controversial figure. He was, of course, one of the co-creators of Lost, which was one of the most important but also controversial television shows of the century. Um, and then went on to write some movies that received mixed reviews, including Cowboys and Aliens, Star Trek Into Darkness, Prometheus, World War Z, Tomorrowland, and just recently, The Hunt, the movie that was scrapped by Universal Pictures because it depicted Trump supporters being hunted by liberals. Um... Oh, and The Leftovers, the HBO show from a few years back, ran for three seasons. Um, so look, kind of a mixed bag, right? <laughs> Tomorrowland in particular lost a lot of money for the Disney Corporation, and I'm sure George Clooney disavows it. <laughs> that was a big stinker. But some of these other movies, I mean, I don't know, World War Z was a box office success. They've been planning a sequel for a while. Star Trek Into Darkness, they made a sequel to that. Not a great Star Trek movie, but also not bad. Prometheus, same thing. They made Alien Covenant. So, like, the guy's movies do business, but they're not so well-received on the internet, specifically with fanboys. Fanboys consider Damon Lindelof (laughs) to be a bit of a hoodlum. They don't like this guy. Particularly Star Trek fans... Um, <laughs> Lost fans, Alien fans, they think this guy is messing with their source material. And you know fanboys, they don't take too kindly to these young, ambitious screenwriters messing with their childhoods, right? So that's sort of his reputation around Hollywood. And that's one thing you have to consider before handing him the keys to your multi-billion dollar franchise. I think it's quite telling that the Marvel Cinematic Universe doesn't work with guys like Damon Lindelof, who often march to the beat of their own drum and take risks. Now, I'm not saying Damon Lindelof is Alejandro Hodorowsky. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, the guy works on multi-million dollar blockbusters. He's a mainstream screenwriter, and calling him anything other than a mainstream screenwriter is silly, but for guys that work on Star Trek movies, he's one of the more ambitious creative minds, okay? So that's the thing about Lindelof, right? Kind of a controversial figure amongst fanboys, critics, and audiences alike. The other thing I want to note about Lindelof is that one of his main creative partners over the years has been J.J. Abrams. They created Lost together. J.J. directed the pilot of Lost, And then Lindelof went on to showrun the rest of the series. And then he was involved in the writing of Star Trek Into Darkness, which J.J. directed. So many Damon Lindelof projects have been under the bad robot umbrella. Lindelof very much comes from the J.J. Abrams school of thought. And as I was watching Watchmen last night, I couldn't help but think about the J.J. TED Talk from 2007 called The Mystery Box. I don't know if you've all seen this, but it's a very famous TED Talk that J.J. Abrams delivered many years ago as Lost was on the air, as a matter of fact, right? Because Lost, I think, when did that debut? 2004? So yeah, 2007 would have been right at the height of Lost. I think he had worked on Mission Impossible 3 at the time. This was uh, before Star Wars was even a twinkle in J.J.'s eye, right? Um... If you haven't seen the video, go Google it. It's like 17 minutes long. I recommend you watch it before listening to this, but I'll do my best to summarize it here. Um, JJ is explaining why he became a filmmaker. 
He tells this story about his grandfather who bought him his first Super 8 camera and bought him his first sound system and, uh, you know, really nurtured JJ's creative spark and this compulsion to create things. And I guess one day they went to this magic shop because JJ was really into magic growing up. And there was this $15 mystery box. That's what they called it, the mystery box, which had, according to him, $50 worth of magic tricks in it. And who knows what was it? It was probably like a very generic magic kit with like a deck of cards, a false thumb tip, the cups and balls trick. (laughs) Can you tell that I had like 30 magic kits growing up? (laughs) Anyway, um... So it's just like this generic mystery box, but it says on it, the mystery box. And JJ had kept that thing in his possession for decades. And now, at whatever age he was in 2007, he keeps the mystery box in his office unopened. He has yet to open the mystery box. Because according to the TED Talk, he considers this the endless possibility. Imagining what's inside the box is more interesting than opening it and seeing its contents. And so he draws this parallel between that and filmmaking and how all movies are just a mystery box. The blank canvas is the mystery box that you can fill with whatever you want. And he talks about Jaws, how when you don't see the shark, it's more scary than when you do see the shark. And, you know, it's all well and good. It's this beautiful, misty-eyed tribute to filmmaking. Whatever. Point being, J.J. Abrams is fascinated by mystery. He's fascinated by the unknown. He's fascinated with imagination. He's fascinated with questions that don't have answers. And I feel like Damon Lindelof is of that same school of thought because that philosophy literally defines the entirety of Lost. Lost began by asking questions it wasn't prepared to answer. And the thing is riddled with symbols and motifs and mysteries that were left open to the audience's interpretation. And that led to theorizing and television recaps and message board discussions that speculated on the true meaning of the island, the true meaning of the Dharma initiative. What the hell is that polar bear all about, right? It's all very open-ended and and crowdsourced, and it's more of a mystery than a concrete story. It, It was defined by its ambiguity. And look, Lost was massively successful, did very well at the Emmys, did very well in the ratings, triggered lots of online conversation, important show, a show that I watched and a show that for the most part, I remember quite fondly, but it's impossible to ignore the backlash those final few seasons received. People were not happy specifically with the finale of Lost, and that's for a plethora of reasons, but chief among them is that Questions started getting answered, and audiences were not satisfied with those answers. Or, in some cases, the questions were just left open-ended altogether, and people felt snubbed. They were not satisfied with that conclusion. And I don't necessarily find all of those criticisms to be valid, but I do think it points out a unique flaw to the J.J. Abrams-Damon Lindelof model. And that is television audiences can get worn down by mystery. Television audiences can get worn down by ambiguity. Television audiences can get worn down by too many questions. This isn't necessarily the case on the big screen. This isn't necessarily the case in novels. This isn't necessarily the case in comic books. This isn't necessarily the case on stage. But on television, lots of ambiguity and lots of symbolism and lots of big questions without any answers and lots of weird plot choices can get exhausting. And that's what I felt last night during Watchmen. I'm sitting there thinking, whoa, this looks like a million bucks. It's an HBO show. It's well-directed. It's well-shot. It's well-acted. Regina King is in it. Tim Blake Nelson's in it. Don Johnson's in it. Jeremy Irons is in it. I've heard great things. It's a dark, gritty superhero show. There's an awesome opening sequence. I'm thinking, fuck yeah, HBO. Take me away. 
But then the sky started raining squid. (laughs) And I was out. I was like, fuck, no. Not again. I cannot take one more of these mystery box shows. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of your bullshit, HBO. The same thing happened during Westworld. I watched the entire first season of Westworld and then I quit midway through season two. I could not take the puzzle elements anymore. I could not take the fan theories. I could not take the mysteries. I could not take the multiple timelines. I just don't give a shit. Just for once, play a scene straight. Put two characters in a room, have them talking to one another, make their character motivations clear. Tell me what the hell's going on. Don't pull the rug out from under me at the end of every single episode. I just couldn't take the mind games. Westworld has more in common with a Sudoku puzzle than it does a television show. And that's the God's honest truth. And I don't know if Watchmen is going to walk down that same path, but it sure feels like it. If it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, maybe it's a fucking duck. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I have to give it more than one episode. In fact, I will give it more than one episode. I may watch the entire season. But this thing felt bogged down by mystery box bullshit. This thing felt bogged down by symbolism. Arbitrary symbolism, may I add. Weirdness for the sake of being weird. All the cops have yellow masks and there's this blue guy that lives on Mars and squid falls from the sky and Robert Redford is president. Yes, in this universe, Robert Redford is the president. And I just felt like it distracted from the characters. I had a real hard time finding the rhythm of the show because I don't find any of these people all that interesting. I will just say that a major character dies at the end of the pilot meant nothing to me because I didn't really know anything about this person and I don't care to. That's a problem. Obviously, you can't do all the character work in the first episode. Obviously, you can't reveal everything in the hour-long pilot. You have to string us along with more intrigue. But, ugh, I did a lot of Googling today. You know, I did a lot of why is it raining squid in Watchmen? Who is Dr. Manhattan or Mr. Manhattan or whatever the hell his name is? Why do the cops wear yellow masks? I just, it was a lot of that. Who is Rorschach? Too much. As a simpleton, a not comic book literate simpleton. I need my hand held a little more and I need a little more transparency because right now it's super opaque and I just feel like if you want to make something opaque, if you want to make something ambiguous, if you want to ask questions that you're not prepared to answer, film is the better medium. I can't help but think that 2001 A Space Odyssey, The Shining, Mahalan Drive, basically any David Lynch product would not work as television shows. They are only successful because they are contained movies. Television is about falling in love with characters. It's about being familiar. It's about comfort. It's about introducing you to people you want to spend more time with. (sighs) I just couldn't get into the premiere of Watchmen. Just like I didn't dig the premiere of The Leftovers and why I ultimately didn't finish that show. And why, although I finished Lost, I had my own frustrations with it. You push the audience's patience by bogging your material down with too many open ends. Just give me a story. Just tell me something. Maybe I'm wrong. Listen, many critics have seen, like, what, the first four or five episodes of Watchmen and have raved about it. So... I I hope it gets better. I certainly think it will. I'm just feeling a general sense of frustration over material like this. You know, it's just not the type of stuff I respond to, especially on television. You have a lot more freedom to challenge me in a movie. On TV, you got to be cheers to a certain extent. 
right? You got to be Seinfeld. You got to be I Love Lucy. You got to be familiar. And like even the most ambitious TV shows like Game of Thrones, for example, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, they borrowed some very similar television beats. Game of Thrones was a show with vibrant characters that interacted with each other, that had great conversations. Although it was a challenging universe to live in, and although many of those characters perished in unspeakable fashion, you still enjoyed when Tyrion and Jaime shot the shit. Right? There was something very familiar and comfortable about Game of Thrones. Breaking Bad, same thing. It's a character piece. A lot of that show was just like Walter Schuyler and Walt Jr. eating breakfast together. Mad Men, workplace drama. Soprano, same thing. A pretty traditional family drama, sitcom elements. Each episode sort of stood alone, but you kept wanting to come back because you really liked Tony Soprano. With this blending of television and movies, this is one of the things that's been overlooked. Audiences lose patience on television. And it's really hard to get them to commit to something like Watchmen. Um, I know that's certainly the case for me. But I will keep watching and I will keep an open uh, mind and I will be talking about it in the weeks to come because it's an HBO show and that's what we do around here. We talk about them. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. More pop culture goodness. Stick around. It's cultured. All right. um, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because the internet has already done that for me. So (laughs) I don't have much to contribute to the conversation other than to ask a very simple question. And that is, what the fuck are you guys still doing talking about Marvel movies? What are we doing? (laughs) This is the most boring debate I've ever seen in my life. This is... (laughs) This is mind-numbing. This is nails on a chalkboard. What's happening here? We have nothing better to do than to go on social media and blast Francis Ford Coppola? Really? Really? So I don't know if you heard this. Um, This guy, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, owner of Coppola Winery in California, in Napa Valley. Yeah, he's a he's a big vineyard guy. Enjoys a good wine. Um also the director of a few films. I don't know if you've heard of them. The Godfather? You ever heard of that one? How about The Godfather 2? How about The Conversation? How about Apocalypse Fucking Now? Heard of that movie? Yeah, Coppola made those. Pretty good director. Um if you give him a camera. <laughs> So he backed up Martin Scorsese this week because Marty had the audacity to say Marvel movies were not movies. Or I should be more specific and precise because I don't want to misquote the man. He said Marvel movies are not cinema. Cinema is about learning something uh, about a particular character, about the human condition. And Marvel movies are more like amusement park rides. You know, they are fun, entertainment, escapism, they're genre pictures, they're not real movies. And so he said that, and people got pissed at Martin Scorsese, including James Gunn, the director of the Guardians of the Galaxy films, along with the upcoming Suicide Squad 2, saying at the time that, you know, he defended Martin Scorsese while Last Temptation of Christ was getting boycotted. And now he won't do the same for me. And for that, my feelings are hurt. Now, we all know, people. Marvel movies are indeed movies. Because they're moving picture with actors, cinematographers, writers, and directors that screen in movie theaters. That's the definition of a movie. If it's a moving picture, it's a movie. But that's not good enough for the Twitter mob. That assurance is not good enough for James Gunn or Robert Downey Jr. or Sam Jackson who blasted Marty for these ignorant comments. But you want to know something? As Marty took on the fire, one guy was not going to remain silent. 
Francis Ford Coppola was not going to let his fellow film brat go at it alone. So he stuck his big head right into the Twitter storm. And this is what he said about Marvel movies. Quote, Martin was being kind when he said it wasn't cinema. He didn't say it was despicable, which is what I say. This off-handed comment led James Gunn, director of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and Suicide Squad 2, to respond with an entire paragraph on Instagram. Let me read this little soliloquy for you. Many of our grandfathers thought all gangster movies were the same, often calling them, quote, despicable. Some of our great-grandfathers thought the same of Westerns and believed the films of John Ford, Sam Peckinpah, and Sergio Leone were all exactly the same. I remember a great-uncle to whom I was raving about Star Wars. He responded by saying, quote, I saw that when it was called 2001, and boy, was it boring. Superheroes are simply today's gangsters slash cowboys slash outer space adventures. Some superhero films are awful. Some are beautiful. Like westerns and gangster movies. And before that, just movies, all capital letters. Not everyone will be able to appreciate them. Even some geniuses. And that's okay. Heart. Y'all. Y'all, what are we doing throwing shade at Francis Ford Coppola? What are we doing throwing shade at Martin Scorsese? What the hell are we doing? Do you not have enough? Have you not made enough money at the box office? Have you not sold enough action figures? Do you not have enough Netflix television shows? What else do you need Besides the support and adoration of every mainstream film goer on the planet, what more do you need? Is it not enough that Tony Stark is on 10-year-old pajamas across the country? Is it not enough that little Sally wants to be Captain Marvel when she grows up? Is it not enough that Black Panther has been nominated for Best Picture? Is it not enough... That superhero films are the most valuable cultural export the United States has at its disposal. Is it not enough? You've won. Avengers Endgame is the highest grossing movie of all time. Captain America, Thor... The Guardians of the Galaxy. These are household names. Thor 4 is coming out next year. An eighth Spider-Man movie is right around the corner. Robert De Niro was just in a Batman movie. It reminds me of that great quote from Dusk Till Dawn, the Quentin Tarantino movie. Are you so much of a loser that you don't know when you've won? I can't help but think that of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and these delicate little snowflakes like James Gunn. What more do you want, bro? You're working on a movie starring a talking tree and it's going to gross a billion dollars worldwide. Why do you need Uncle Francis's approval? Why do you need Uncle Marty's approval? You've won. Pack up your things and go home. It's astounding to me. As if you thought they thought any different. Martin Scorsese made Taxi Driver. Martin Scorsese made Raging Bull. Martin Scorsese made Mean Streets. Okay. Coppola made the fucking Godfather. Of course they're going to see your Rocket Raccoon movie and laugh. Of course they're going to see Thor Ragnarok and laugh. Of course. They're old men. You don't need their approval. You have the power. You have the cultural dominance. 
You have the blank check to make whatever the hell you want. You don't need Francis Ford Coppola's seal of approval. It's, it's unbelievable to me. It truly is. These guys are legends, man. You know, have some respect. Shut up. Take it in stride. Take it in stride. It astounds me. Whenever, like, you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table and you're talking politics with your grandfather, or maybe it's your uncle, maybe it's your aunt, maybe it's your grandmother, and somebody makes a comment politically that doesn't exactly align with your way of thinking, perhaps it's a bit ignorant, maybe a racial slur every now and again, and people lose their shit. And this is how family fights erupt. And this is how feuds start. And it's like, bro, it's Uncle Bob. It's Grandpa Lou. What did you think he thought? He's an old man. He's not winning anymore. His time is over. His days are numbered. You have the power. You don't need him to agree with you. Right? You don't need him to vote for the same presidential candidate as you. You don't need him to be woke. And you certainly don't need him to like Marvel movies. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's crazy, dude. I cannot believe we're rehashing this again. Twitter erupted the other night. I was scrolling through because, of course, I follow many film Twitter accounts. I am a frequent of the film Twitter sphere. Uh, I could not believe the outrage. I could not believe we're having this debate. It's just, it's so stupid. It's like having a debate with your grandfather on Thanksgiving. Shut up. You're not changing his mind. He's set in his ways. He had his time. It was a fun time. And now it's over. Okay. Settle down. Francis Ford Coppola has not made a good movie in 30 years. Right? He's not made a good movie in a very long time. Cut the dude some slack. And also, listen from time to time. Because maybe Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese, although they're old and although their philosophies are out of date, and although, yes, Marvel movies are still movies, they may have an insightful thing to say every now and again. All right, but the total outrage here. I mean, are you so much of a loser that you can't tell you've won? That's that's what I feel about James Gunn these days. It's crazy to me. Here's a guy that's winning at life. Quentin Tarantino. That dude may take home the Oscar for Best Director this year for his film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's a movie I've talked about extemporaneously on this podcast and others. It's my favorite movie of the year. I don't imagine anything will pass it between now and December 31st, but you never know. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was embroiled in a bit of a controversy this week when the Chinese government requested he re-edit his movie to exclude scenes involving Bruce Lee. Now, you'll recall a few months ago, there was a big controversy here in the States uh, because the portrayal of Bruce Lee in the film was a bit satirical, um... Uh, a bit rude, a bit nasty by some standards, and uh, many accused Tarantino of, uh, I don't know, a tinge of racism, right? Or at least a lack of diversity and representation. People did not like the portrayal of Bruce Lee. The Chinese government evidently agreed. They requested that Tarantino take the scene out of the film altogether. Tarantino said, fuck off. So now Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will not be showing in the People's Republic of China, uh, and to Tarantino, I say, bravo, sir. Bravo. Thank you for doing what LeBron James, Adam Silver, James Harden, Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, and all those motherfuckers in the National Basketball Association refuse to do. Congratulations. Standing up to the communists. What a concept. It's just that simple. You know? Quentin Tarantino is a very rich man. He's made a lot of movies that people have seen. 
In fact, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood cost somewhere in the ballpark of $90 million. So Tarantino, a wealthy guy, a famous guy. And I imagine he was laying there poolside at his Beverly Hills mansion when his agent called and said, Hey, Quentin, you know all that money you have? How's about I get you more of it? Tarantino, of course, perks up, goes, why, yes, I love money. What, what, whatever can I do? To which the agent responds, well, you know that movie you spent over a year of your life meticulously putting together? All we need you to do is take out one scene so the communist dictators in China say it's okay. And then you'll get loads and loads and loads and loads of more money. To which Tarantino responds, you know, as much as I love money, I think I got enough of it. I mean, believe me, I'd love more, but I'm not sure it's worth selling out on my fundamental principles. I'm not sure it's worth kowtowing to a communist regime that frequently violates basic human rights. Maybe, just maybe, the right thing to do would be to flip a giant middle finger over to President Xi and the Communist Party in China and stand with the protesters in Hong Kong. Because after all, I'm really fucking rich. So I can. And that's what he does. Giant middle finger to China. Fuck you. You're not changing my movie. Was it that hard? Was it that hard, folks? Look, I'm not saying you can't sell out. I'm not saying you can't make your money. I'm not saying you can't play your movies in China or you can't play your basketball games in China. But just a thought. Don't you have enough money? Bravo, Quentin Tarantino. Bravo. This is Cultured. Stick around. We'll be right back. Just a brief little lightning round and then we'll get out of here. Um... <laughs> uh, Jared Leto's a funny guy. Dude, this is my favorite story that I've read in a while. Hollywood related story, at least, that I've read in a while. Um... <laughs> So, uh, new report in The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, quote, you've got to stop this. Jared Leto fumed over new Joker movie. The actor who played the character in Suicide Squad felt, quote, alienated and upset when Warner Brothers greenlit Todd Phillips' version with Joaquin Phoenix instead. Um, <laughs> so, this, this piece was really interesting. Uh, you know, Jared Leto... Um, a bad Joker. I think that is fair to say. I don't think anybody likes that portrayal at all. Um, I don't think it's entirely Leto's fault. Again, I am no Jared Leto apologist, and I would never be caught in public defending him, just like I would never be caught in public defending Zack Snyder. But Suicide Squad's a really fucking bad movie, and aside from Margot Robbie, I don't like any of the choices made in it. So, like... To totally blame Jared Leto, I think is a little unfair. Yes, it's a bad performance. Yes, he contributed to that dumpster fire of a movie. And yes, it would have been better without him. But like, I don't know. That thing was doomed from the beginning. The whole look and feel of that movie was just off. And at least Leto was making a choice, right? At least he was going for it. A lot of that movie just doesn't go for it at all. Um, But... <laughs> I guess, long story short, he hears that Warner Brothers is about to do another Joker movie. And as I remember it, didn't they also announce they were doing a Jared Leto solo movie? I could be wrong, but I remember a few years ago, it was like right on the heels. I wonder if that was related. Because they they announced the new Joaquin thing, Todd Phillips is directing, and I think they assured at the time it would not interfere with their plans to do more Jared Leto movies. There was still going to be a solo Jared Leto movie coming down the pipe. I don't think Jared Leto took all too kindly to that announcement, though. 
So he demands, according to this Hollywood Reporter story, that Warner Brothers kill the project. In fact, many people inside Warner Brothers feared that the movie would not make money, that it would be a, a, a total failure. So they lowered the budget in an effort to discourage Phillips from making it. It's a very weird thing. I, I have no idea if this is true. It sounds odd, but uh, I'll just read it right here. Um, THR previously reported that the 47-year-old star who played the grinning crime lord in 2016 Suicide Squad thought Warners had strung him along with promises of his own Joker standalone movie only to greenlight the Phillips version with Joaquin Phoenix instead. Ironically, Warners thought the Phillips project would be a small movie and nervous about its dark tone, greenlit the pick reluctantly with a small budget that some at the studio hoped would discourage Phillips from making it. Warners declined to comment. Uh, why not just, I don't know, give it a budget of zero if you really want to discourage the guy from making it? Unless Phillips has so much power that you can't say no to him. But clearly you can say no to him because you decrease the budget. It's a very weird story. I'm not sure this is uh, this is rock solid in its sourcing here. But I just find it so amusing that Jared Leto threw a fit. <laughs> After an objectively terrible performance in Suicide Squad, it goes on to say, you know, uh, he's an Oscar winner. He thought he was being treated unfairly as a former Oscar winner. He thought he had uh, earned a, a longer leash. It's just it's just classic Jared Leto stuff. Nothing brings me more joy than watching Jared Leto suffer. I think it's great. What a diva. <laughs> Check out the story in The Hollywood Reporter. It's a really fun read. Speaking of Batman movies, Paul Dano has just been cast as the Riddler in the upcoming film The Batman. Not to be confused with Batman the Movie, or Batman Returns, or Batman. <laughs> uh, the Batman will star, of course, Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne. Paul Dano as the Riddler, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, and it was previously reported that Jonah Hill was going to be in the movie in a, quote, undisclosed role. Many speculated that it would be the Penguin, since Jonah Hill is kind of a large man. Now he has dropped out of negotiations, so presumably the Penguin will be played by someone else that is, uh, you know, up there in poundage. <laughs> Gut reaction? Feels like too many cooks in the kitchen. Not gonna lie. Feels a bit crowded. Too many villains. We've seen this problem in the past. Dark Knight Rises. Too many villains. Amazing Spider-Man. Too many villains. You don't want too many villains. Give me one, maybe two. And if you're gonna have two, make sure they complement each other. Do a Joker Two-Face situation. The Joker creates Two-Face, part of the movie. You know, it, it it's not just, hey, you like Catwoman, and hey, you like the Riddler, and hey, you like Bane. Let's put them all in opposition to Batman at the same time. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think we need it. Hot take. I don't think we need more Batman movies. I just did a podcast on the Movie Hall of Fame a few weeks ago with Adam Hall. Talked about this. Best Batman movies, right? We reviewed six Batman movies, all of them pretty good. We don't need more. I felt satisfied, you know? Paul Dano's a phenomenal actor. It tickles me that, uh, you know, the guy from There Will Be Blood, Eli from There Will Be Blood, will be playing uh, the Riddler in a Batman movie. Well, not only that, be uh, reprising a role popularized by Jim Carrey. It just tickles me pink. Paul Dano, Jim Carrey, who's the better Riddler, will be a conversation on the internet next year. We are living in the Matrix, my friends. Um, <laughs> oh, man. As if you didn't think that news was crazy enough. I'm just going to read the story from, what is this, Newsday? I just Googled it, and this is the first result. Here we go. Um, Get Out star Daniel Kaluuya developing Barney movie. 
This is real. Barney might be back. The famed purple dinosaur of the PBS preschool series is under development as a live action feature from Mattel Films and a production company headed by Get Out and Black Panther star Daniel Kaluuya. Here's the quote from Kaluuya. I'm not kidding. Quote, Barney was a ubiquitous figure in many of our childhoods. Then he disappeared into the shadows, left misunderstood. We're excited to explore this compelling modern day hero and see if his message of I love you, you love me can stand the test of time. Bro, if this don't sound eerily similar to Joker. I mean, come on. (laughs) Disappeared into the shadows, left misunderstood. Do we need a gritty reboot of Barney? Be honest. Who's asking for this? Who is this for? I had the same thought when I was watching football this weekend and I saw the trailers for Maleficent 2, Mistress of Evil. I'm watching that. I'm thinking, who is this for? Who greenlit this? And who's seeing this opening weekend? It's no shock. Maleficent 2 bombed at the box office this week. I just don't know who's who wants this. Kids are totally fine watching Peppa Pig. They don't need Daniel Kaluuya to reimagine Barney for a modern audience. No one misunderstood Barney. Everyone gets the message of Barney. I love you. You love me. We're a happy family. It's, it's hard to, to have multiple readings of that text. It's, it's hard for Barney extremists to misrepresent the intention of the author there. He's a purple dinosaur. He hangs out with too many kids in his treehouse. He loves singing ABCs. Bro, as a kid, I was obsessed with Barney. You have no idea. Perhaps my first obsession actually definitely was. Oh, I watched Barney way too late into childhood. You know? It was like I quit Barney around the time most of my friends started watching porn. I'd say. (laughs) I love Barney. Owned all those VHS tapes. I think I went to a live show of Barney once. I think it was like a, I don't know if it was a Broadway play, off-Broadway play. It was like a concert with Barney singing nursery rhymes. I just, again, I don't know why Daniel Kaluuya is working on this. It's another, it's another press release from the simulation. Here we are, folks. (laughs) Uh, One final note. I saw a trailer today. It's called bloodshot that's the name of the movie stars vin diesel you know i like francis ford coppola and uh and martin scorsese have become a bit superhero fatigued you know i think my review of Watchmen earlier on is is uh evidence of that but i saw this trailer for bloodshot which i guess is based on a comic book i'm not sure you can uh call this character a superhero but it it definitely has elements of of comic book in it. This movie looks incredible. <laughs> Vin Diesel stars as Bloodshot, a super soldier that has been brought back to life and has the power to heal almost instantaneously. You cut him, the skin just melts back together. And I guess they explain it in the trailer by extreme close-ups on like some weird insect-looking things that live in Vin Diesel's blood. And I'm watching this movie, and like if every superhero were played by Vin Diesel, I would see every superhero movie. My God, this guy is just born to do this shit. This guy is the human embodiment of a tank. This guy is a super weapon. Like, that's what I want out of my superheroes. You know what I mean? 
Like, I'm impressed by raw physicality. It's one of the reasons why I respond so well to the Fast and Furious movies. Because those are, in essence, superhero movies. But they don't have any capes. They don't have any masks. They don't have any alter egos. They're real guys doing fake things. The, the, the muscles are the superpower. That interests me. It's interested me since the Schwarzenegger days. Since the Stallone days. Rambo is one of my favorite superheroes, although technically he's not one. Bloodshot, it feels like we're going back to the roots of your favorite action stars, your favorite comic book movies. There's a shot in this trailer. I'm not kidding. In slow motion, we see Vin Diesel's face get blown off like Gus Fring in season four of Breaking Bad. A bullet hits Vin Diesel straight in the face. You see his insides, and then in slow motion, the face heals itself. I am in for Bloodshot. I don't know. Is this a DC comic, Marvel comic? I I, I don't know what this is. I did a little Googling. Uh, All my comic book movies should look like Bloodshot. Give me more Diesel. It's the one thing lacking from Hobbs and Shaw this year. I need more Vin in my life, baby. Up the Diesel. Bloodshot. Sign me up. That's it. So that's it for another edition of Cultured. Uh, I love you so very, very much. Go to the website, toomanythoughtsmedia.com, tmt.media, for more of our shenanigans. Subscribe on YouTube. You can find the link on the website. Um, it's in the upper right hand corner of the site subscribe to our YouTube channel get all of our podcasts in video form uh, and by that I mean it's just like video animations but it would help a lot if you hit the subscribe button on there it would really help spread the word uh, YouTube is um, a good network to promote your podcast on so uh, any likes any subscriptions any comments would help immensely but other than that, subscribe to everything else. Listen to Movie Hall of Fame this week. We're doing the films of 1962. Um, and why is this a thing? We talked about the new John Travolta movie, The Fanatic, all available this week in the coming days, TMT.media. Check it out. I love you. You guys are the shit. And please come back next week because you know what happens then. You and I, we get cultured. Bye-bye.